Are y'all ready for the word? Oh, that's lame. Anybody in here ready for the word? All right, that's a lot better. Go to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And while you go there, I'm going to start off by talking to you about the fact that again today, I'm what? Now, do you have my train? Do you have it this time? I know you're going to ask me, why all the noise? Well, I'm a kid. Thank you, Nikki. I'm coming back over here and preach. I'm, I'm a grown-up kid. When I was a boy growing up, I took the Peter Pan vow. Do you all know what that is? I vowed to never grow up. So I'm just a big old boy. Lisa says she has four boys, and she's right. And I am the most contentious of them all. And so um, I love noise. I love trains. But I did that on purpose because we're going to talk about prayer again this morning. And my sermon is the tracks we run on. Now, here's the point of it all that I made two weeks ago before we had the young man who goes to China, um, um, Andrew Braves. Wasn't he neat? Wasn't he a neat guy? What a great look. I'm glad he's in China, not me, honest to God. Um, But the fact is, is that Mary Fran made a, a prophecy in this church. She made a statement. She says, no prayer, no track. As powerful as that train is, we serve a God who's powerful. And we often say he can do anything, but sometimes it looks like he's not doing anything. And so the question has arisen, why is that? Because as powerful as that train is, it is totally dependent on tracks. It can carry anything you can put on it. It'll carry cattle, it'll carry luggage, it'll carry supplies. God can get anything he can get if he can find tracks laid in your life. So the point is, is I'm going to start talking to you about your prayer life today. And we're going to talk in a moment about why it is that many Christians don't pray like they should. And don't, don't, don't holler at me because, amen, I know that you're guilty sometimes. Okay, so the, word, the sermon is the tracks we run on, the good, the good God, bad devil. Now, before I get going on my sermon, I want to read something to you about fellowshipping with God. This morning when I woke up, I realized that before I could get in my sermon, I had one more thing I have to do. Most Christians rely on the fact that we are in a relationship with God. And relationship is good, but it is not going to take you where you need to go. Only fellowshipping the relationship will take you where you want to go. And a lot of times we don't place the emphasis on our time with God. There is nothing in your life more valuable than your time with God. Nothing fellowshipping with the Lord. So I'm going to read something to you from my book, In His Presence by E.W. Kenyon. The law that binds the man or the woman together does not make fellowship. 
It is not the fact that the woman is a good cook and a housekeeper or the man is a splendid provider and a gentleman at all times. It is when the man and the woman are blended together into one spiritually, physically, and mentally. This is communion. This is real fellowship. We often have in our home life a limited fellowship. In the church, we have limited fellowship with the brethren. That means we have limited fellowship with the Father. It, it is unlimited fellowship that brings happiness to your home. It is unlimited fellowship with the Father and one another that brings the richest joy into the believer's life. That's a powerful statement. All right, let me, let's talk about this for a moment. There is no person on the earth more valuable to me than my wife. I mean, I, I've, we've been married for years and I still enjoy being with her. But I have to make a confession that at times that fellowship has been strained. Probably because she did something wrong. Maybe I did a little bit. I've never had to work at the relationship we're married. She's told people before, listen, I'll never divorce him. I might kill him, but I won't divorce him. <laughs> but you know, in order for me to enjoy my wife and our time, our home needs to be a, a, a wonderful place to be. But there are times when we have had discussions. We would call, you would call them arguments. And fellowship was broken. It is extremely important that you work to get it back. Now, listen to the scripture. As much as is possible, live at peace with all men. I understand that there are people you and I will never be able to fellowship with. There's no peace. There's no reconciliation. And so it is with God. As much as he doesn't like it, no matter what he's done, there are people who will never fellowship with him. And there are people who never fellowship with you. But you and I must work on the fellowship with the people we know. And when that's broken, we should work on getting it back. And what that means is sometimes you admit when you're wrong. Sometimes you admit you're wrong when you aren't. So, in other words, listen... Find where, see, it's easy to blame the other person, easy to find fault. But sometimes you ask yourself, what could I have done? Right now, as a born-again Christian, the average Christian in America, and I'm talking two-thirds of them, maybe three-quarters of all Christians, have no fellowship with God at all. And, and they want to know why their life is messed up. Because we've turned church into a religious push a button, pull a lever, and get a dollar out. What can I get out of this? What can God do for me? And, and we come in with a mindset that we're going to do our prayer, we're going to do our Bible reading, we're going to drop our tithe in, and that is not fellowship with God. And it's easy to do. The longer you're in here, the easier that is to go through the mechanics of Christianity. Very easy to go through the mechanics of being married. 
cook a dinner, go and mow the lawn. Hi, honey, how are you doing today? It's something above that when you stop and say, I'm going to go spend time with Lisa today. I'm going to go do something with my wife. And at that time, you need to, I, I, her and I pull away. Now, sometimes, most of the time, I initiate it. Sometimes she initiates it. She's very, very busy. Sometimes I have to look at her and go, we're going to get you out of the office. We're going to get you out of here. Now, we'll sometimes go places. You say, well, we're going to the beach. Well, we might be going to the beach, but I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to be with Lisa. Because if I can get her out of the office and the house, she'll stop working long enough. Thank you. Y'all are married. You know what I'm talking about. But yet... In Christianity, and I'm going to ask you a question, because if you don't answer this one, the rest of my sermon is worthless. When's the last time you on purpose pulled away to be with God? When's the last time you went to yourself and said, is there something I need to be making? Is there adjustments I need to make on me? Because it doesn't seem like me and God are as close as I used to be. Three people, raise your hand. Let's see if we can get anybody else in this church. One day we're going to get in here and we're going to have a communion service and we're going to talk about fellowshipping with God. But Smith Wigglesworth took communion every day. Now I'm going to talk about me and I'm going to talk about you. But there are times when I have been so busy with ministry, I've neglected my walk with God. Did you know that? There's been times that I've gotten in my Bible to get a sermon. And I wasn't, but I wasn't fellowshipping with my father. And I began to feel it. There was a time in my life when I had graduated from Rama. I had been a youth pastor. I had, I had gone through a divorce, and I'm working in the secular world, and I'm praying, going to church and tithing every day. Not tithing every day, but going to church, loving the Lord, and I'm miserable. Thank you all. I think I'm miserable because I'm not in ministry, but I'm really miserable because I'm out of fellowship with God. And yet I'm going through the mechanics, chop, 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 because I learned them. One day I'm in my truck and the Lord said, when are you going to do what I want you to do? And when he asked me, he irritated me. <laughs> and I went, what do you mean? He said, when are you going to do what I want you to do? I said, well, tell me what you want me to do. He said, I'm not going to. Until you tell me you'll do it. And I said, I'm not telling you I'll do something you don't know what I'm going to do. That was the problem. <laughs> and he let me sit and be miserable for a little while. Thank you all. And when I got it right, I got my joy back. So even now, when I sense that I'm, that I'm not where I should be, I pull away. I don't care how busy I am. I don't care. Listen, there's nothing going on on this planet more important than my fellowship with God. And if you, learn, if you get that out of the sermon, you got the sermon. And I'll stop what I'm doing. And I'll grab a Bible, not just to read it, and I'll go spend some time, and I'll talk to God like I'm talking to you. I'll just sit and talk to him. If I've missed it, I've missed it there. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I missed it. 
I won't do that again. And, and he'll begin to deal with me. But I'm telling you what, that, that fellowship is sweet to me. My fellowship with my wife is very precious to me. My fellowship with my kids are. My family. My fellowship with you is more valuable than you think it is. They don't really pay me enough to do this. I do this because I love him and I love you. You know, what are they paying pilots now, Justin? 700000 a year? Captain. I, listen, I can fly a plane. That's a hunk of change to fly a box full of people around. I can fly a box full of people around. <laughs> Buy me a yacht when I'm not in an airplane. Amen. No, I won't do it. No, I won't do it. I'd rather have you. I'd rather be standing right here preaching the word of God. I'd rather be in the middle of the will of God. I'd rather please my father. So get your Bible and go to the book of Genesis. So the, the point of my sermon is not to turn you into a robot, a praying robot. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about why people don't pray more. Now, if you tell me you pray all the time, you're a rare bird. Most Christians don't pray enough. That includes me. That includes me. I have to work at it, okay, at times. All right. G Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall not eat it nor touch it. Now that proves she's the first Pentecostal. Because God never said nothing about don't touch the tree. And she just added to the, the, what he said. You're just kind of trying to, okay, don't even touch that makeup, you sorry thing. You can. <laughs> and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, why is she even having this conversation with him? And why is she in the middle of a 1,500 square mile garden looking at one tree? Why does it seem like the thing God said don't do, we end up finding it and staring at it a little while. So. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was. That's not, that's not an untrue statement. That it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was. And a tree desirable to make one wise, and it was. She took its fruit and ate it. She gave to her husband with her, and he ate it, and he's standing there the whole time listening to this whole conversation. So don't blame the woman that she ate him out of house and home. That's not true. <laughs> and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the woman said, the woman you gave me, she gave it to me to eat. It's the woman's fault. All right, let's talk about why we don't pray. The very first thing that we see there is that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And the first thing that Adam did was to fix his problem. Not with God, but fix it. 
when we do life, all of us in this room, the tendency when we mess up is to I will fix it. And uh, so he started, what's that women's, Eve's leaves? What's that thing in the mall where they sell women's negligee? Victoria's Secret. So he started Victoria's Secret right there in the garden. <laughs> you got to get them going sometime. This is a serious sermon right here. You know, this is serious. Now, one of the things that, that every one of us, if, if we will be honest with ourselves, We're spending time doing something that you cannot do. Man was designed to walk with God. Fish designed for water. Birds are designed for air. And you're designed to walk with God. And anything outside of that is a failure. But man, now 80% of all the people in the world are not born again. Why? Because they will save their self. You know, when the Twin Towers got bombed, the president stood up and said, we'll fix it. Why didn't we say everyone pray? Did they fix it? They've made it worse. You are incapable of fixing a spiritual problem. So one of the reasons why we don't pray, we don't even need him. I got it. I got it, baby. I know I ain't got no money. I'll get a second job. Don't you worry about it. I'm a man. Why don't you go pray about it? No, we're not taught that. It's, it's a part of our humanity to I'll do it. Now, does God have things he wants you to do? Yes, but not without him. Prayer is working with God. Not apart from God. Not, I'll do this, God, come on. And that's the way a lot of us pray. We got a problem, Eve. We're naked. Uh, there's some figs over here. After you get through eating a couple figs, let's sew some leaves together and we'll fix this problem. And God goes, I don't think your leaves are going to fix your disobedience. Now, I said that 80% of the people on the earth aren't born again. 80% of the people in churches don't walk that close with God. And then we're saying, why God, why? And therein is the issue. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Number two, they hid themselves. Why? Guilt and shame. Listen to me. The next reason, the next reason that people don't pray is because once you do something wrong, you run from God. You run, you listen, you get up, look at this section. It's empty. Where are they? Hell knows. I'll guarantee you they did something wrong and didn't feel comfortable coming back to church. Why don't you just run to to God and get back right with God? 50,000 people in Apopka and there's about 200 in this church. There's a lot of messed up people in this city. It don't have to be. 
Now, I'm going to spend one whole Sunday on overcoming guilt and shame. We're going to have to learn how to deal with guilt and shame, get it under the blood, and walk with God. Because you've got to be able to live your life without the feelings of guilt. And that's going to take a whole Sunday. So we're going to skip this one and move on. The next thing they did was blamed God and each other. Well, you know that woman you gave me? I was doing pretty good and she grabbed that apple and handed it to me. I mean, if you hadn't given me that woman, I wouldn't be in this mess. All right. In our society today, if you don't believe there's not a blame game, turn on ABC, NBC, and all the other CBS. What's the rest of the? Everybody's a victim to someone else messing up their life. But how many times do you hear them say, we're the problem? There's a scripture, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Well, we got Adam hiding in his fig leaves in the garden. And then when he's confronted, he goes, well, it's, it's your fault and the woman you gave me. And I'm going to tell you something, in fellowshipping with each other, easiest thing in the world is to sit around and pick on each other. Someone should have done better. Yeah, we all should have done better. Very, very few people have ever come along and said, well, the real problem is me. What I need to do is take, wouldn't it have been amazing if Adam had said, sir, you gave me a job and I didn't do it. I didn't, I, I didn't teach my wife. She handed it to me. I ate. Sir, I'm guilty. Now, later, God took the, the, the animals and killed them and shed their blood. And we know he taught them about blood covenant because we knew that uh, Noah practiced blood covenant. And all blood covenants came out of the, of the Garden of Eden. From that day forward, every, every society has practiced blood to get back right with God. Indians, Africa, I don't care who you are. Okay. Go with me to the Job chapter 34. So here's my question. Is God the problem? No, he's not. Job 34, is God good? Number three question, can he be trusted? All right. Now before we get started... I need to explain this to you. One of the primary reasons we don't run to God is because if you've been to church any length of time, they have taught you that God is running everything. It's a lie. And he is the reason you're in the mess that you're in. It's a scapegoat that takes the responsibility off the preacher and the people to do what God said. But it's the blaming of God. Now, let, let, me, let me go over my rant. And I'm not ranting just to rant. I'm ranting because my rant is legitimate. And it's something that must be said. I want you to leave here today with a very healthy prayer life. But before you do, we're going to have to get the fact that God is the bad guy out of the picture. Okay? Lisa and I are watching a Pure Flix movie. 
No, I said this Wednesday night, and I'm going to say it again. I'd rather watch Superman, Batman, or a murder movie than most Christian movies. And I'm not being just a jerk. But there's a cute movie we're watching on TV where the, a Chicago police officer's wife dies of cancer and he moves to Malta and he meets this secret agent girl and it's a love story. But in the middle of it, they meet a preacher. And that's when the whole thing went down. Now let me stop for a minute and explain something to you. Most Christian movies are written by lukewarm carnal out of fellowship with God Christians. It's because it says Christian. Doesn't mean the man that wrote it knew God. And the preacher explained to him, well, you need to come to God and you need to realize that all the bad stuff that's happened to you your wife dying of cancer. God had a purpose. I'd rather him cuss than lie through his teeth. Trying to get the guy saved, telling him God killed his wife. And all of that is trying to explain to people why bad stuff happens. And they're doing a lousy job of doing it. The bad thing is all of their movies have that theme. The movie God's Not Dead, I don't own it. Don't bring it in my house because I'll throw it out and burn it. Did you see that new Christian movie? Probably not. I know, I know you think I'm just, just venting. I am, but you need to listen. Why have we decided, like Adam, the woman you gave me? Why is God now the problem? He's not the problem. He's the answer and he never has been anything but the answer. Okay, we're going here now. I know I've already lost some of you because you're looking at me like a dog in a new bowl. But that's okay. You just hang with me. Job 34.10. You remember the book of Job? Job put the most famous funeral scripture in the world in the book of Job. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, what they forgot to tell you is that later God chewed him out for saying it. Somebody forgot to read the rest of the book. All right, we're going to read what the word says. Elihu. Listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness. How much wickedness does he do? Not a drop. He's never done anything evil, and he's never done you harm at all. I'm going to prove it to you. Book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Don't go there. It says that Jesus is the express image of God. You find one place where he left someone sick, gave them cancer, or popped someone in the head. Where do they get those doctrines? They didn't get them out of the Bible. They got them out of their experiences and their ignorance. 
Well, see, the problem is, is that because that's preached, we tend to, to agree with it, and then we come in and go, why did the Lord allow this? He didn't. Now, Andrew Walmack said something to a lady one day. Her son was dying. Andrew went in there and prayed for the son, and he died. And at the funeral, he stood up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, and this, this is time, he's a Baptist preacher. And he said, I have a confession to make. I don't know where I missed it. And I don't know where this mama missed it. But God did not take this baby. And buddy, it took some guts for him to stand up and say it. That we may miss it and we miss it. When God ain't the problem. Why in the world would you want to pray to a God who's going to make your life worse? Listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. He repays man according to his work. That would be good or bad, wouldn't it? And makes a man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. How often? Never. Boy, that, that just ended most Christian movies. You don't, I'm, I, know you're gonna, I know you don't like this, you think, because it says Christian. Satan is involved in a lot more churches than you think. One day we'll get into the new woke movement in the churches. We need, to, we need to come up with a, with a real definition of love because the world's definition is not right. We've perverted the word. The world perverted the word. All right. Wow, let's go. So pop John 10.10 on the screen. Let's, let's go down this real slow. Just pop it up there, John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? The devil is. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Is there not a definite dividing line here between Satan and God? So who's the problem? The devil. Now, I'm going to get way ahead of myself. Most of the time, we have opened the door either ignorantly or knowingly and let him in. But very rare does anyone ever teach you that the Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But God will never do anything about the devil again. Never. You'll either resist him or he'll run your life. I'm getting to the end of my sermon now, so just, just hold on to that thought. Go to Job 36. Just go ahead a couple pages. 36.7. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. Talking about God. Say me. But they are on the throne with kings. Who is that? 
That's us. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's talking about his church here. He has seated them forever. That's us. And they are exalted. God did it. We didn't do it. God did it. If they are bound in fetters, that means if the kings, if a Christian gets back into sin, listen to what it says he's going to do. Held in the cords of affliction, and he tells them their work and their transgressions. Now listen to me very carefully. God will talk to you and say, you know that thing you're doing? Don't do that. That's not going to come out right. Now listen, if you slow down long enough to pray and fellowship with God, he will slow you down and go, oh, you know better than that. Don't you do that. No, 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 no. Yeah, you know better than that. You can't ignore it. He's trying to help us. Let's finish reading. Woo. That they acted defiantly, he opens their ears to instruction and commands them to turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, he will knock them in the head with a hammer, kill their wife and kids, and their life will be hell on earth. Come on, y'all, let's go. What does it say? If they obey him and serve him, their days will be short on the earth. They'll die at 30 years of age. Now, why am I saying that? I'm going to stop on another rant. We'll watch another, another Pure Flix movie. By this one, we turned it off. Boy and girl fall in love. They're both Christians. They both love the Lord. He gets in a car with her brother driving down the road, and we know that he's fixing to get killed. And I said, I, before I said anything, she picked up the remote and went, boom. I said, good. You know how I'm angry it makes me that why in the world would you want to make a movie about God and every movie you make, someone's got to die. With long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's my still waters. With long life, long life, he'll show me. Listen, God is not running around killing people. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a prosperous life. He wants you to have a healthy life. He's not running around causing you trouble. All right, never mind. Go back to, go back to, go back to my, my scripture that I misquoted. If they obey him, they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in what? Pleasure. Serving God is good. Praying is good. Going to church is good. Reading the Bible is good. If you live for God, he's not going to kill your wife and send you off on an island to live in hell on earth because he's trying to teach you something. Now listen to me. Have we, I've screwed up and I learned from it, but God didn't do it. We have all messed up. We're going to get into that. 
All of us in this room have messed up. That's why there's mercy. His mercies are new every morning. We can go to God, get washed in the blood, start all over again, get all that mess under the blood, and have a good life. Whoa, glory to God. So I've already written me a movie. Because I want to be the star. It's written about a preacher who's a, who's a, who's a, a, a cowboy who's a sheriff, and he's also the preacher. I think every preacher ought to carry a gun, by God. I mean, anyway, just, and he falls in love with a beautiful, blonde-headed, blue-eyed hardware store worker. Who owns thousands of acres and a cattle farm and a and he rescues the city and he beats the bad guys up and he preaches the gospel and everybody gets saved. That's a good movie. Come on. Now you can understand what it's like in my living room when Lisa turns on a movie. She said, Are you gonna make a scene every movie? I said, I didn't say nothing during Pride and Prejudice. How many of you ladies watch Pride and Prejudice? That's a good movie. Was it Jane Austen wrote that? Was that her name? Listen, there's an enormous amount of character. Now, of course, the men standing around looking goofy, that, I overlooked that. That's, that's written from a woman's point of view. Understand, men don't stand in the living room and watch you walk. Be out hunting doves or quail or fishing in the lake. He's writing, but he didn't do anything. <laughs> Never mind. There's been plenty of movies I say nothing because they're because they're written right. Someone put thought in them, but you can't write a romance movie in 15 minutes and make a hit out of it if there's no character in it. And all of them, they'll have a fight over something absolutely stupid. And they make up and get married. Every, they write one movie and they change the characters over and over and over and over and over. And they don't kiss exactly three minutes to the end of the movie. You just watch it. Clock tick, tick, tick. They're going to kiss. Now my poor wife looks at me and says, would you please leave the room? Because she already knows I'm fixing to say something about this. I can't stand, but anyway, never mind. No more movies. Where was I? 40 verse 8. Job 40 verse 8. I'm just going to read it on the screen. God, God is talking to Job. Look at what he says to Job. Would you annul my judgment? Would you condemn me so you can be justified? Where... Did you get the idea that you're going to point your finger and blame me so that you look good? That's 99% of the Christians in America. You don't point your finger at anything God did. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you this. He has never dealt 
the full bunt of, of your iniquity on you. Even when he allows you to eat a little bit of it for your benefit, he never lets you eat the whole load. He is good. Say, God is good. Say it again. God is good. All right, all right. Let's, let's go. Let's go on. Come on. And I know some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard it, and it's, and it's okay. Look, look at James 1, 13 real quick and go to, go to Job 33 while you look at James 1 on the screen. James 1. Let no one say. Don't let anybody, even in a movie, say. When I'm tempted from God, God is incapable of tempting, testing, and trying you. God is not doing anything to teach you anything. He gave you the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost will lead you into all truth. He doesn't need the devil to help you learn. You're doing enough stupid stuff without him doing anything. I mean, when's the last time you went out and took the lug nuts off your kid's car to teach them something as they crash? You're, a, you're the parent and you're better than God. You don't do that. I don't do that. They're already driving a little goofy. I don't have to have, I mean, I'm the one telling them, don't you? I'm going to tell a story on Jordan right now. Jordan's now a truck driver, and he's very, very, very safe. But I'm going to tell you what I did when he was a kid. I'm trying to explain to him why we don't drive too fast. And, 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 I, and I told him, I said, do you understand how long it takes for you to stop? And, he, and this is Jordan. Yeah, Dad, I know. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I know. So we're driving down the road. He's in the driver's side. I said, when we get, when I say stop, stop. He said, I'm game. Let's go. Driving down the road. We're going towards Paisley. He's doing 55. I said, stop. He slammed on brakes. And when he, when he finally stopped, I said, turn the truck off and get out. You're going to walk to the mailbox where I said stop. And it, it's over 100 yards. Uh, and he said, no, we have to. I said, yes, we do. I said, you know these little white lines you're going by? Whoop, 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 whoop. They're the length of your car. So he got out, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked. And we stood by it and looked at the truck, and I said, what if that was a kid? All right, now the reason I'm telling you this story is that he got back in the truck, and I'm driving we were going up toward Paisley, and lo and behold, a child ran out in the road with a ball right in front of me, and I slammed on the brakes. And the truck, and the kid went running across the street chasing a ball, and Jordan went, oh, snap. And he drives a truck now, and he's very safe. Now, see, folks, listen. I don't know how I got off on all that. I don't know why. I'll come back to why I said all that in a minute. 
Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. God is incapable of tempting. What is evil, he himself tempts and tests no one. I said that because our kids are already doing enough dumb without God throwing a bunch of stupid in it. He isn't doing it. All right, let's go to another scripture here. You ready? Um, Job 33. Verse 23. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going to the pit. That's you. I have found a ransom. So in other words, in all of your mess, God found a ransom for you to keep you from going to the pit. We know that the love of God was shed in Jesus. He went to the cross, paid your debt to keep you from going to hell. That's the love of God. He did that for your benefit. He got no benefit from it. He will be stuck in a body for eternity to redeem you. That's love. All right, let's finish. His flesh will be like a child's and he will return to the days of his youth. Because of Jesus, God can turn your problem around. He will pray to God. He will delight in him. He will see his face with joy and he restores to man his righteousness. Right standing with God. God does it. God does that. God does that. Then he looks at man and says, the man says, I have sinned. I have perverted what was right. In other words, the man got free, the man got right, and then he screwed up. Now I want to show you what God does. He will redeem the soul from going to the pit and his life will see the light. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times to bring a soul back from the pit. What does this mean? You're sitting here on a Sunday morning. How many times have you messed up? How many times has no matter what God said to you, you came along and you screwed it up again? You know what he says he's going to do with you? He's going to bring you in. He's going to wash you in the blood. He's going to restore you. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to put you back in right standing with himself. And he's going to get you out of the mess you got yourself into. He says how often? He said he'll do it two, three times. We know Jesus said he'll do it 490 times a day for you. God is not the problem. God is the answer. He's trying to find ways to help you and I out. Come on, that's good preaching. God is good. You say, well, pastor, you, you don't know what kind of mess my life is in. You want some good news? We're allowed to go in the throne room. Now, let me back up a minute. I'm just going to say it this way. Smith Wigglesworth takes took communion every day. Do you understand what communion's for? It means that no matter how bad we messed it up, and some of us has messed it up, we can get a cup of grape juice and a cracker, and we can go in there and sit down at our kitchen table, and we can say, Heavenly Father, 
I messed it up again. I got myself in a mess. I disobeyed you. My life is not doing what it should be. And, you, and it says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of what I did. Now listen to this statement. When the death angel flew over the house, he never asked who was in it. He passed over the blood. He passed over the blood. When you take communion, you're going, the blood. God, I've come to you with the blood. The blood will restore you back to everything that you were before you messed it up. And he'll do it not once, but he'll do it over and over and over and over and over again. You say, some of y'all are going, praise God. Now, maybe we ought to take communion in this church a little bit more often as long as you don't turn it into another religion. If you're going to suck grape juice and pop a cracker without thinking, I'll stop taking communion. Make another ritual out of something beautiful. It is a time for you to sit and go, God, it's because of Jesus. It's because, Ephesians chapter 2, put this, put, put this on the screen. I'm just, oh, glory be to God. For by unmerited favor you have been saved, healed, and delivered through faith in the blood, not of yourself. Go back to Adam. I'll fix it. You ain't fixing it. But he did. You go back to God and go, I missed it. And he goes, well, we got blood. And you can start over today like you never did a thing wrong. They're giving them a license to sin. People are sinning without a license. I'm giving you a license to come out of it. Because the wages of sin is still death. And you don't want it. So if you messed up, just plead the blood. Say, God is good. See, when you mess up, run to God. You know how many days I've went and sat in my chair and said, Father, I messed up. I messed up. I didn't do right. I not only am sorry, but I'm going to make a change right now. Just talk to him. Just, just go talk to God. Walk around with guilt and shame on you. If you see someone else messing up, say, Father, have mercy on them. That's what I would want. Be merciful to them. Be merciful to them. We're still talking about prayer, whether you know it or not. Now, where were we? Hebrews 10. Prayer is a privilege. I love it. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Well, let's go to 16. Let's 
This is the covenant I'm going to make with them after these days, says the Lord. I'm going to take my laws and put it in their heart and their mind. I'm going to write them. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. Jesus paid it. Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do you understand that you can go in anytime you want to? Under the old covenant, they had to tie a rope to their leg and put bells on their garment. Because if they didn't hear bells ringing, they knew he had dropped dead. The God we serve is a holy God. And he demands holiness. Well, we have never measured up. Ain't no sense in pretending like you have. Every day I wake up, I go, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for amazing grace. Don't ever get the big head. You're not as good as you think you are. Some people walk out and say, Pastor, you did a good job today. I just did my job. I sometimes go home and go, I could have done so much better. I'm just a human. But he's perfect. Get your eyes on him. And look at what he said. Under the old covenant, you walk in there and you do something wrong, you drop dead. We can boldly go, we can walk right in. Jesus kicked the doors down, made the put his blood on the altar and said, everybody, if you have a problem, come on in. I don't have time to get into it today. Prayer was designed for the impossible. When you're faced with impossible, go in. (laughs) You have no idea how many times I've gone. I am going to go have a talk with you because I have a situation here and it's not good. You wait till you're $200,000 in the hole. The bank is looking at you. The creditors are looking at you. Your house is leaking water. Your kids' cars blown up, both of them, and you're sick as a dog, and the doctor says you're going to die. You need to go talk to God. <laughs> I have an impossible situation to talk to you about. Well, I'm not dead, and and I'm not in debt anymore, so apparently somebody answered some prayers. (laughs) Now, about the time I think I'm doing good, I do something stupid. I know you never have. But anyway, and I get humbled that without him I can do nothing. I get cocky sometimes. Ask Lisa, she goes, he gets cocky sometimes. But it isn't long, I get uncocky. All right. Let's go to one more scripture. I'm going to close with this one. Matthew 16, 19. If Justin ever looks at you and says, take my raptor and go to Lowe's. I'm not going to use my truck because you'll take me up on it. I'm going to use Justin's truck. 
take my raptor and goes to Lowe's. What's your question? Where are the keys? I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. How do you take a truck if you can't crank it? A lot of power. Well, y'all are thinking now, aren't you? I'm going to read a scripture to you. Look at what Jesus said to you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now let's go back to the movies that I was ranting about. You think I'm just ranting just to be ranting. I'm not. Everybody in the movie had the key. Whose fault is it they were walking? Theirs. Theirs. Whose fault is it? You're walking. Yours. It's your fault. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, the same keys he used when he walked the earth, has now been given to you. Now, it's a rare day in Apopka that someone shows you this scripture, especially in church. I'm going to give you the keys, and whatever you bind, who's responsible for binding? You are. Let's, let's, he's gonna, this is amplified, so he's going to explain it to you. It's a woman's Bible. That, well, why that is has more words. That's true. Right, Jeannie? Okay. That means whatever you declare to be improper and unlawful. You're allowed to have a say-so in what's happening in your life and in your family. Did you know that? Stop praying, God, do this. He isn't going to. He finished his work and sat down. Then he gave you the keys to the truck. Or the kingdom. Whatever you declare to be improper and unlawful. So how many people in heaven have cancer? Don't shout me down. Let's go. Let's go. How many people in heaven are broke? How many people in heaven are sick? How many people in heaven can't pay their, their mortgage on their mansion? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm reading the scripture. Who is allowing this rogue devil to run loose? All right, now listen, listen to what I'm going to say here, and maybe you want to write it in your Bible. The church is the restraining force in the earth. Prayer is how you work with God to restrain Putin from killing everybody in the Ukraine. It's how we get our nation back. If you don't pray, somebody's going to keep stealing elections. I know, I know y'all are looking at me like, well, we voted for... Well, I'm glad. I'm, yeah, I'm glad. But you might want to hit your knees. Please. I want all of you to say, you're doing good. All right, good. I'm glad because I was starting to feel a little bit. Of, uh-huh. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind and declare on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or declare lawful, whatever you allow on earth must be what's already allowed in heaven. Who decides What's going on in your life and your kids and your home? Who decides that? Say me. 
Say it louder. Me. But prayer is not talking God into the notion of doing something. Prayer is working with him in the earth. God never does anything on the earth apart from his church. Oh, sovereign God running the whole earth, screwing everyone's life up, hallowed be thy name. Stop it. Stop that trash. Heavenly Father, I love you. You love us. I'm going to be again to pray about my family today. I'm going to go to your word. You said in the word of God what I allow. And I have some things to say about my grandkids right now. I don't allow what's going on in that house. I don't allow. They're not going to hell on my watch. You send someone across your path. Now you're working with God. You're, God wants them saved, but he cannot answer a prayer you don't ask. Don't ever forget that statement. God is impossible for God to answer a prayer you don't ask. Now I'm going to change subjects right now real quick. What if you don't know how to pray? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Why did he give you the ability to pray beyond your mind? Because sometimes there's not enough up in your mind. That's called mercy. If you want to rely on your mind only, have at it. If you want to go to war with, with Putin with just a Glock 19, have at it. You won't live long. You might need a tank. That's called power. That's another whole subject. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues is not for Pentecostals. It's for Christians. If you understood that God is incapable of answering a prayer, you don't ask. Well, you sovereign God. In his sovereignty, he gave you that responsibility. Now, before I close, we're going to go over one thing. I'm not talking about battle prayer all the time. Get in the habit of talking to God a lot. You're going through your day. You're walking by someone like Jeannie, and you go, Father God, help her. Help her with these kids. Give her the grace. Give her miracles this week. Father God, I, I just surround her with faith and love. I ask, you to, I ask you to bless her coming in and going out in Jesus' name. No, I'm not talking about praying hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm not doing that. I, don't, I ain't praying that much. You can pray yourself. But I'll, but I'll stop sometimes right in the middle of my day and I'll, I'll hear something. I'll go, Father, nah, that's not right. Just stop and talk to God. Let me tell you a story. One day I'm working in an apartment complex with a leasing agent that no, doesn't know the Lord. But most of them don't know the Lord. I'm the maintenance man. I went to lunch and I came back and I got out of my Jeep. I bought a male Jeep. Not a, not a, not a, a masculine Jeep, but a, a M-A-I-L, male Jeep. Okay, not an anti-female Jeep, but a male Jeep. It had a male, it was one of those slide doors back. And I paid $1,500 for this thing, bought it from the government that was my truck when I was living. And I pulled the thing back, and I'm walking in the apartment into the thing, and I said, Heavenly Father, open up a door for me to talk to this girl. 
opened up the door and she looked at me and said, let me ask you a question. Bam. Spirit of God hit her and she started talking about the Lord. So the prayer does, is fellowship. It's more than sitting in a room and there's times for that. But I'm talking about just fellowshipping with God. You're more powerful than you think you are. But if, if God wants that girl saved, he's going to lay it on my heart. He needs me to ask, Father, open up a door. Father, open a door to talk to this girl about the Lord. I'm fellowshipping with my Father. But he needs me. God needs you. You're more valuable than you think you are. The devil will never tell you that. God wants to know what you think about stuff. I would never trade anything for my fellowship with God. There are times when he'll tag me, spend time with me, and I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll lock myself in a room, open up just, I'm not being religious, just praying and fellowshipping with God. Well, there's times that I'll, I'll get in there and I'll start praying pretty strong. But not every time. And just let, just. Say God is good. Say God needs me to pray. Oh, we're going to do something right now. We're going to close the service out by praying. No sense in me preaching a sermon. You go home and go, that was good. Now, what we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to have you stand up and I'm going to have you pray. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be praying and I'm not going to lead you in prayer. You pray. Pray about yourself if you want to. Pray about your family. I don't care. The Bible says that my house will be called a house of prayer. If the church should be anything, it should be a place of prayer. So we're going to spend about three or four or five minutes. I may leave in a minute, leave it up to Lisa. But I want you to get in the habit. One of the things that happened in American churches, we took the altar benches out. We lost a nation because we took an altar bench out of church. There should be a time for you to come to church and go, I need to spend some time with God. And we replaced it with a man laying his hands on you, relying on him to get your prayers answered for you. That, that, that should have never happened. There is a time for someone to pray for you and with you. But not all, most of the time you should do, learn to do your own praying. Now, if you need someone to help you, grab someone and say, pray with me. The other day I was dealing with something. I looked at Lisa and I said, come in here and I want you to get in agreement with me. Because I'm dealing with a problem that I don't think I'm, I've got the faith to, to fix it. I, I'm going to want to put a thousand flight to 10,000. I want this multiplication in my life. So I looked at her and I said, pray with me right now. And, and we got an agreement on something. Amen. Stand up with me. We're going to pray. Now you can follow me if you want to. I'm going to pray out loud. And then after a moment, I'm going to stop. And it's not a sign for you to stop. You pray and do it the way you want to. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning. I thank you for this church more than anything else. 
every person who's standing in this room right now is valuable to you. We're your sons and we are your daughters. I have done the best I know to take a subject and explain it. But the most important thing is that all of us leave today knowing that we really need to work on this thing called our prayer life. If it's not where it should be, we'll make the changes. If it is, we'll continue and go on. I pray that the people in the sound of my voice, if they're out of fellowship, would this morning take the blood and get back in fellowship and run the devil off. And I pray that we would all leave here with a sense that you're calling us as a nation to pray over the nation, over the city, and over our family. There's a lot of stuff going on in our homes that should not be going on. But we have not dealt with it in prayer. I'm as guilty of that, Father, as anyone else in this room. Allowing stuff to go on in my children. Allowing stuff to go on in my own grandchildren. No more. No more. I know you love us. I know you're a good God. I know that that the devil is a bad devil. But he has been defeated. And I'm going to enforce that defeat. Father, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Those watching by internet, continue with us right now. Pray with us. Stop what you're doing and pray with us. Don't just watch us. Now, if you want to, you can pray in the Spirit. That's okay. Praying in English is good. Just pray however God leads you to pray. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have it in my heart. There's someone over here who needs to pray for their grandchildren, their children right now, to start praying for them. What you're going to do is say, I plead the blood of Jesus over my grandchildren right now in Jesus' name and over their lives. Satan, you can't take them. You can't have them. I call them out of darkness. I call them out of the world in Jesus' name. Father God, draw them to yourself. I'm asking you, you said no man comes to the Father, but draw my children, grandchildren to yourself. Draw them home in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. All right, I'm going to read a scripture to you. I have it in my heart to do it, so just remain standing for a moment. I, I can't do this this morning completely the way I want to. But if you're going to walk with God in prayer, you need to understand you have an enemy. Now, when, you're, when you start praying, you'll almost always have your sins come up. That's the devil challenging you. Who do you think you are? I'm going to show you how to handle him. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. You need to tell the devil, I plead the blood of Jesus. 
if he's challenging you that you don't have a right in the throne room, tell him, I plead the blood of Jesus. Run him off right there as you begin to pray. I plead the blood. You have no right over me. Now shut up in Jesus' name. Now go back to praying. As long as you're dealing with sin consciousness, you'll be like Adam and you'll hide in the jungle. God don't want you hiding in the jungle. Come on out of the jungle. I know where you are. I already got you. Running from God is not the answer. Running to him is the answer. He's bigger than the sin. He fixed it. Papa God, thank you for the blood. Some of you need to say, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Say, my sins are forgiven. They're under the blood. Today's a new day. Ha, ha, ha. You say, what if I mess that tomorrow? Well, you got 1 John 1, 9 for tomorrow. Amen. Father, I pray for Ukraine right now. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. I come against Putin in Jesus' name and the the forces with him. I render them harmless now. Every, every thing against them, I call it to the ground, to fall to the ground. I render them harmless in Jesus' name against the Ukrainians. Father, I plead the blood over them. Protect them. Cause him to fall. Whatever needs to happen here, whatever you need to do, go ministering spirits and bring to the Ukrainians all the help that they need and the aid they need now in Jesus' name. Father, stop him dead in his tracks. Stop him dead in his tracks in Jesus' name. Amen. Just sit down just for a minute, and then I'm going to let you go. If I can have my altar workers come up, my ministry workers, praise the Lord. Isaiah 5.20 says this, and I want you to mark this in your Bible. Woe to those, this is what pastor is talking about this morning. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Don't call evil good. Don't call good evil. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That also applies to the word of God. Don't tell someone that God must have had that in his plan. You're calling evil good. Don't call evil good. Whatever God said, that's what you're going to say. Even though in the face of relatives and friends and people that are going to chew you out for that. Don't be, a, don't be a coward. Say, I'm not calling that evil that you said my God did to that baby good. Because my Bible says he didn't kill that baby. And that's just the way that it is. You don't have to be ugly. You can just say, I'm not calling that good. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus Lord, that's a good thing. That's a God thing. You want to miss hell. You want to miss hell on earth and you want to miss hell in the afterlife because you're all, we're all going somewhere. It's just where are you going? There is a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. 
whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I repent of my sin. Cover them in the blood. Wash them away. I receive what you did. It's easy to do, but it takes humility to do it. So the only thing stopping people from doing it is pride. I ain't having nobody tell me what to do. I ain't making nobody Lord. I'm going to be Lord. So it's an easy process, but the heart has to be in the right condition. Amen. So if you're here this morning, you don't ever... We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember... Our pastor's vision is this, we grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.